the Bible uh, tonight, why don't we open up to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some extra ones back there in the library. You can pick one up. Um, tonight we're going to do our best to cover a couple of chapters as we endeavor to continue our journey through the Old Testament. Um, if you guys have been with us, we know we've studied the book of Genesis. That's when everything began. And immediately you see the institution of marriage. In Genesis chapter 3, you see the fall. Uh, and then immediately what you do is you begin to get into the rise and fall of Israel in the Old Testament. And that's kind of where we're at right now in the book of Deuteronomy. As God is uh, uh, speaking to the children of Israel, they're right on the brink of the promised land. And I think for us as Christians, there's a lot of a lot of relatable principles. Um, we want to go in, we want to enter the land, and many of us here have. But we want to enjoy that land as well. We want to make sure that we stay in the land. We don't want to lose the benefits and the blessings of what it means to be an obedient Christian. We want to make sure, kind of like the study last night talked about, that we finish the race. You know, it's, it's easy to start. Anybody can start. And it's easy to do good even, you know, as you're going through the race, man. But we really need endurance. We really need wisdom. We really need to make sure that we finish well. I think all of us here know that, you know, when you're in the basketball game and if you only play three quarters and you don't play that last quarter, you're, you're going to lose. And you can't lose the fire. You can't lose the passion. As a matter of fact, I think for us as Christians in the days that we're living in, the passion and the fire, they need to grow stronger and stronger. And that's very difficult uh, for Christians, you know, because usually what ends up happening for Christians is they, is they start off on fire and they, they tell everybody about the Lord and you just, you know, you just can't, you know, keep them quiet, you know. And a lot of times what ends up happening is Christians will tell them, well, eventually you'll kind of, you know, settle down and you'll, and you'll chillax and stuff and... <laughs> And, um, and that's not the way it should be, you know. Just in case you're wondering, I would encourage you guys to fall deeper and deeper in love with the Lord and to get into His Word more and to continue to pray. And, and don't, you know, don't, don't kick back. Don't put it in cruise control. Don't look for the easier way now. Don't look for the comfortable road now as a Christian. Don't. I encourage you guys, man. It's important that we... We go forward in our relationship with the Lord because we want to go into the land and we want to enjoy the land and we want to make sure that we don't get kicked out of the land, that we don't lose the land, that we don't forfeit all the blessings that God wants to give us. And that's really what Deuteronomy is all about. The man Moses, great leader, one of the greatest leaders that's ever lived, gives us these words right before the children of Israel enter in. And really, it's a call to be a nation of cooperation. You know, because one of the things that you'll find when you're a Christian and as you begin to study the Bible is you learn about the sovereignty of God. Man, you learn that God's on the throne. You learn that God's in control. And, you know, there's no doubt about it. But you also learn about the responsibility that we have to obey Him, the responsibility that we have, I call it, to cooperate with Him, to aggressively cooperate with Him. Because if we don't, then we're going to suffer the consequences. And so we need to, you know, we're on that, that you know, the, that bike that has two people on it, the Lord's in the front. We need to make sure that we're there in sync with Him or else we will crash. 
Because look what it says in verse 1. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. But when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But this you shall deal with them, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. The Lord says, when you reach your destination, you know, when they go into the land, God says through Moses, here's the exhortation and then here's the explanation. Don't make a covenant with them. Have no mercy upon the enemy. Because if you do, then you're done. They will turn your heart away from the Lord. Utterly destroy them, both the cons and the icons, you know, the people and the paraphernalia. He says, get rid of their altars, their pillars, their wooden images, their carved images. Get rid of everything and anything that points to paganism or perversity. Don't tolerate even the tiniest tidbit of idolatry. God wants us to be pure. And that's what he's telling the children of Israel. You know, and as they were to go into the land, you know, it's pretty vicious. I mean, you got to have like a spiritually sanctified killer instinct. And for a lot of us here, we don't have that, huh? We're really nice. And, and the Lord says, you can't be nice with the enemy. You just can't. You can't dance with him. You can't be nice with sin. You know, you have to be um, aggressively um, there with that killer instinct. You know, and the reason is, the Lord says, is because they will turn your heart away. You leave that altar there, yeah, no big deal. Eventually, it will get to you. You leave that pillar there, eventually it will get to you. That carved image, that wooden image, that Asherah, eventually it will get to you. And that's why it's so important that in your life, you clean house. Clean house. Get rid of everything and anything pagan or perverse. Everything. Go through with a fine-tooth comb and clean house. You don't need that picture of your old boyfriend anymore. You don't. I mean, you don't need that picture of your old girlfriend. Or you don't need that book right there or that magazine over there, or sometimes that music. you got to make sure that you clean house, God says, because if not, eventually they will turn your heart away. I mean, you got to go through your house and you got to live your life Basically, you know, saying, Lord, is this okay with you? Lord, is this okay with you? Lord, is this okay with you? On and on down the list, exhaustively. That's the way we have to live our life. Otherwise, what we are is compromising Christians. And God says, eventually, that will come back to bite you. Now, the Lord here gets real specific in an area that I think we today uh, have to take to heart. Because he says there in verse 3, you shall not make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor 
take their daughter for your son. Again, there's the exhortation. The explanation is, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and God will get you for that. He puts his finger on something very familiar, that we're not to be unequally yoked. We read that in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, where the Bible says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And the answer is none. What communion has light with darkness? And the answer is none. What accord has Christ with Belial, which is another name for Satan? And the answer is none. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? None. You can't let your daughter marry a non-believer and, you know, in looking at that, you can't let her date a non-believer. And he's speaking to parents here. Parents, you're the ones that got to take care of business in that area. You got to be so careful. You can't let them, you know, give the daughters or take the sons in any way. Don't give in. Don't give in to that. You stand your ground. Unless this homeboy, unless that girl is a bona fide, blood-bought, Believer, and you know it, and you see the fruit, don't let your daughter or son dance with the devil. That's what God is saying. And you got to make sure. And He's speaking to the parents. Why? Because it's your responsibility. I mean, if, they, if they're gone, and you know, there's nothing you can do in situations like that, but sometimes I see parents, and, and you know what? They don't really uh, obey this, even though it's so explicitly clear. You can't be unequally yoked. Christian, girl, Christian, guy. Period. That's it. The Lord says right here, because what's going to end up happening is they'll turn the heart away. You know, sometimes people say, well, yeah, you know what? They'll come to the Lord. They call it missionary dating. And that's, (laughs) you guys, I mean, not to sound weird or anything, but that's wicked. It's a wicked mentality. You can't play Russian roulette with your kids. You can't do it. We have to have that understanding, you know. We we see this over and over again within the Bible. Recently, we've been going through this in our readings in Ezra chapter 9 and chapter 10. And the people had violated that. Nehemiah chapter 13, even the leaders had violated that. They didn't even know the lingo. They didn't know the language. As a matter of fact, if you go over to um, Ezra real quick, I was tripping out when I read this the other day. And man... When he found out that they were marrying pagans, um, it just it just um, it just totally blew him away. In Ezra chapter nine, it says, and then everyone in verse four, who trembled at the words of God of, of Israel, assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And notice what it says. And Ezra says, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. I mean, he was just sitting there thinking, man, I can't believe that God's people have been putting up with this. I can't believe that they're doing this. And he goes on, and we don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but if you really want to get a good taste of of the depth of this sin, man, you go through and you read this. But look what we read in chapter 10. It says, And now while Ezra was praying... And while he was confessing, weeping, bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered together to him from Israel 
For the people wept very bitterly. I mean, you know, when I read this right here, the thing that I come away with was, man, this just totally broke his heart. And I think for us, we're Christians, it's got to do the same thing. You know, we can't tolerate it, you guys, any longer. You know, I don't know what's going to happen when my daughter starts dating and or whatever. They, I don't even know if dating is the right word. You know, some people say, you know, as Christians, there's no such thing as dating, that God's got somebody for you. And, you know, when that time comes, then you'll know the Lord will speak to both of you. You're just friends in the meantime. But, you know, if some guy calls over our house, I mean, that would wig me out. I would trip out, you know. Who are you? You know, give me the Westminster Catechism right now over the phone. You know, those types of things. I mean, seriously, it's got to be that serious. There's got to be a screening process. There has to be a praying process. You can't just let them, you know, while they're just friends. You can't. You have to be so careful. You know, we love the loss. But when it comes to stuff like this, I mean, what ends up happening? They fall in love. I mean, you know how it is. Once you fall in love, it's too late. So do your best. Don't let them fall in love, man. you got to really ask God for that conviction in this area. Be so careful, you guys. Here we see over and over again what ends up happening. As a matter of fact, if you go over to Nehemiah chapter 13, real quick, we see that, you know, because some people say, well, I'm real strong. You know, I can handle it. I love the Lord. And you know what? I'm going to be okay. But in the book of Nehemiah, we see that Nehemiah dealt with the same situation. And if you look at Nehemiah chapter 13, notice what it says in verse 23. It says, And in those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. Notice what Nehemiah did. I love this. So I contended with them. I cursed them, struck some of them, pulled out their hair. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) I mean, you know, this is incredible. And he says, And I made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. I mean, you guys know how awesome Solomon was at one point in his life, right? That's what he's saying. But then he says, Nevertheless, pagan woman caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And the answer is no. Be so careful, you guys. You go into the land. God says, don't mix with them like that. You know, take all their altars, break everything down. Go through house, your house and clean it out. Let there be nothing there that's pagan or perverse. He gives the exhortation. He gives the explanation. Because they'll turn your heart away. God will then be forced to discipline him. And then he gives another explanation back in Deuteronomy 7. In verse 6, Hey, this is another reason. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. 
The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I mean, here we are, we're Christians and we're in the land, so to speak, you know. How do we enjoy it? And how do we stay in it? And God says, this is hell, man. You got to make sure that you come out of the world. You know, they came out of Egypt, but Egypt never came out of them. There has to be a true break. There has to be that heart of just wanting to be holy. You know, and you don't mess around with stuff like that. And he says the reason being, because they'll turn your hearts away, you're going to get jacked up. And the reason being, God says, is because I love you. I love you. You belong to me. You don't belong to them. And that's what the Lord says right here. You see, Israel was set apart. And you know, we now have been grafted into the vine according to Romans 11, verse 17 and 19 and 23. We've been grafted into this vine, this vineyard that God is absolutely whipped on. How God loves us so much. You know, we read that over and over again in Deuteronomy In chapter 10, verse 15, it says, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. Deuteronomy 33, 3 says, Yes, he loves the people. All the saints are in your hand. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. You know, I, I share with you guys all the time, and I think, you know, you're probably tired of hearing it, but, but Peter said, as long as I'm in this tent, I'm going to keep reminding you of these same things. Because, you know, sometimes we need it to go deep inside that the motivation to obey God is twofold. Number one, because you fear Him. But number two, because you love Him. And the only way that we'll really love the Lord and enter into that type of relationship is when we realize that He first loved us. And that's what the Lord is saying right here, you know? And a lot of times what ends up happening in life is other people vie for our affection or other things vie for our affection. And God will constantly test us in life. Is He really the love of our life? Is that what keeps you going? Is that what wakes you up in the, in the morning? Is that why, you know, you go to Bible studies? Is that why you get into the Word and prayer and, and, and do all the things that you do? Is the motive of the ministry love? The Lord says that's, that's really where it's at. And that's why I want you to be holy. In Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness... I have drawn you. And some of you here today, it's a vague thing. You know, you just can't put your finger on it. And that's going to cause problems. You really got to be able to sit down and be able to see this with the eyes of your heart. Some of you here have a slight understanding of it and the Lord's doing that work in your life. And there might be some of you here today who figure, you know what, God doesn't love me because of the things that I've done or the things that I haven't done the way that I was today or yesterday. 
and the, just the blanket truth that needs to come down on this congregation right now is I don't care who you are or what you've done. God is absolutely in love with you. And we got to know that. You know, the Lord says, I love you. It's not because you guys are the greatest. You know, and some people do think God loves them because they're the best. No, it's not. That's not the way it works. I'm the best looking. No, that's not the way it works. God loves you. Guess why? Because He is love. We read that over and over again in the Bible. We see in verse 7 again, the Lord says in this verse right here, He says, listen, man, the reason why I love you, I didn't set my love on you because you were more or because you were greater, because the bottom line is, in all reality, you were least of all the peoples. But the Lord loves you. Why? Because He made an oath and He swore to your fathers of what He would do. You see, we love God. Why? Because He first loved us. And it's just due to the fact that He loves us that that will never change. There is nothing meritorious within any of us at all. You know, when I look out in the congregation tonight, I see a lot of people who are changing. And I just think it's so cool. I really do. I think that the Lord is doing a work in your life. But please, you know, even though that's happening, I praise God because, you know, He wants that to happen. But don't think that now because things are starting to fall into place, that now God loves you more. Because He doesn't. His love for you never fluctuates. It never changes. And the reason why that's important to know is because tomorrow if you go out and you fall on your face, which some of you here will do, the love of God will encourage you. Now we're going to talk about the balance in this whole thing in just a minute. But see, in dealing with temptation, God through Moses gives us the exhortation. He gives us the explanation. And look what we see next, some information in verse 9. He says, therefore, no. And so you got to know this, that the Lord your God, He is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. And He repays those who hate Him, it says right there, to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack with them who hate him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments, which I command you today to observe them. And so the Lord, like I said, you're in the land. Okay, you got to enjoy the land and you got to stay in the land. You know, I've seen a lot of people become Christians. I've seen a lot of people get into the ministry. I've seen a lot of people change. And then I've seen a lot of people fall. Today I got text messages from individuals who've fallen. I mean, I'm like, what is going on? Where did this come from? Just out of the blue. And that's why the Bible says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. That's why Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and I in you. You got to stay with Jesus Christ. Here we see the Lord giving them the commandment, man, and, 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 and it's kind of interesting. He says right there a couple of things you got to know. Number one, the Lord your God, He is God. Secondly, you got to know He's the faithful God. And part of that faithfulness is the fact that He has a covenant with you. Now that covenant is, especially when you look at the Old Testament, 
It's based on that love relationship, you know. In one sense, the Lord says to us as Christians, you know, you got to believe in me and you got to die believing in me. That's the covenant. Never stop believing. Never stop loving. Never drift away. Stay close to Christ. Know where that lifeguard station is. You know how sometimes you're going to the beach and you're swimming, you're having a great time, and you're not really paying attention. Next thing you know, you're a mile down the beach, you know. Why? Because it's taking you, that current, that tide. Where are you at with the Lord? Have you left your first love? Is it still about the relationship? Or is it about religion? Is it about going through the motions? It really has to have that heart. We have to have that heart of having that relationship and staying with the Lord. Because right here he says, know that the Lord is God. He is the faithful God. And part of that faithfulness is just the fact that he will keep his covenant. If we keep believing, he's going to take us home. If we uh, walk in that love relationship, he will bless our life. Here we see who he is. And here we see how he is. Now, in looking at this later on, we're going to see this even more clearly. You know, at first when you you know study the Bible, you're like, well, God loves me unconditionally, and so everything's going to be hunky-dory, right? Well, yeah, right. But look what we read next in verse 12. It says, Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. Now you look at that and you're like, wait a minute. Earlier, man, you said that God always loves me. Now when I read it, it seems like God will only love me if I obey all the rules. And you know, that's a good question. At first glance, it might seem a little bit contradictory. But I like what John Corson said. He put it this way. He said this, and this, I think, helps us to understand the way it works. I love my kids, whether they're good or bad. Okay, how many of you parents love your kids, whether they're good or bad? Okay, how many of you don't, just out of curiosity? (laughs) No, you love them whether they're good or bad, right? That's the bottom line, right? But what if your, your child came up to you and said, listen, I'm not going to eat with you, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I'm never going to come over. It doesn't matter, Christmas, Easter, or Thanksgiving. Although you still love them, question, will they enjoy the benefits of your love? No. And that's exactly the way it works for us. You know, God's love for us will never change. But in order to enjoy His love, we got to stay in fellowship with Him. we got to stay connected with Him. we got to stay in communion with Him. That's why Jude said, if you read this little epistle in verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself there. One person said this, he meant we are to just keep ourselves under the spout where God's blessings come out. And I like that, you know. Keep yourself right there in communion with the Lord, in relationship with Him. None of us here are perfect, but we're proper. God's looking at your heart. God's looking at our heart, and He knows that we want to obey Him. 
He knows that this church right here is not a perfect church, but I believe God is doing a work in this church. When I look at all the different ministries, the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the Spanish ministry, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, you know, none of us are perfect, but man, God is just beginning to bless each and every ministry individually. And then corporately, I think there's a stirring up that's going on in the church and God is seeing what we want to do in missions and in so many other areas. And God is saying, listen, that's what I want. Keep yourself there. Keep yourself in that there, that place is longing for the Lord and longing for His love and, and wanting to learn what the Bible says and then wanting to go out and to live that life. Keep yourself in that place where you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. And where you're there, you keep yourself in the love of God. He, he will bless you. Now look what we read here in verse 13. It says, And He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land of which He swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Also, you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. We talked about this a little bit last week, how when you obey God, it doesn't save you because faith saves you. But when you obey God, it saves you from a lot of heartache. Sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you look at this and you see the blessings of obedience and you're like, wow, it's pretty interesting, man. It almost sounds like health, wealth and prosperity. huh? When you read that, you're like, hey, you know what? He's going to give us everything we want. Now, we see a contrast between the Old and the New Covenant in many ways, and this is one of them. You know, when you read the Old Testament, the Old Covenant definitely had a more of a health, wealth, and prosperity element to it. Warren Wiersbe says it's because that's the way you deal with kids. huh? When you deal with kids, you want them to obey, what do you say? I'll give you a dollar. I'll give you a lollipop, man. And if you, you know, learn your lesson, then you get a big lollipop. And in the Old Testament, that's kind of the way it was. God told the Jews, if you obey me, uh, I'm going to bless you like this with material stuff. And you're going to have a bunch of kids. You're going to have a big congregation. You'll have blessed crops and vineyards, olive trees, livestock, no barrenness, no sickness, no flus, you name it, man. It's going to be great. And that's kind of the way it was in the Old Testament. But it wasn't a blanket statement. We know that in the Old Testament, there were those right-on individuals that got sick and suffered and went through hard times. Definitely. But generally, there was that promise there in the Old Testament. But that does not carry over into the New Testament. It doesn't. The rule of the New Testament is what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll give you what you need. And do you know what you need? Anybody here know what you need? Can you need air? Okay, so he'll give you air. He'll give you food. He didn't say he'll give you fancy food, but he'll give you food, and he'll give you clothing. And that's it. 
Some people say, well, if I become a Christian, He's going to give me a house, right? Not necessarily. And some people don't serve the Lord because they are homeless. You know what? That's not what the Bible says. He'll take care of you. But even the Son of Man had nowhere to lay His head. Foxes have their holes and birds have their nests. But the Son of Man, He doesn't have a home. In the New Testament, we see it's a lot different. The New Testament seems to say, I'm going to take you through more of those trials because I'm interested in your character. You see, when you become a Christian, you have everything you need. Why? Because you have Jesus. You have a deep and intimate relationship with Him. And when you become a Christian, you see the blessings are spiritual. You know, and that's the way it works. As a matter of fact, when you read the Old Testament, a lot of this right here is kind of symbolic. As a matter of fact, you know, when the Lord said, you go into the land and you got all the Jebusites, Perizzites, Hittites, all those ites, right? Seven guys that are there, seven nations. Um, he says, I want you to kill them all. Uh, uh, no mercy. Kill them all. Okay, so now if you were to take that in the New Testament, does that mean we can go and kill all the pagans? Some Christians, they I had that misconception, man. But that's not what it is. You want to know who you kill now? Does anybody know who you kill now? Yourself. You kill yourself, man. You mortify the flesh. You put to death the members of your own body. You see, no mercy here. You see, so it's different now when we look at this and we see the blessings are spiritual, the enemies are spiritual, and we are to put to death our own members. You remember, I, one, I remember one time an individual had a miscarriage and I was just, just, just grieved with someone who came up to them and said, you know what, you're, you're you know, just like, like, like they're in sin. Is that the way it always works in the New Testament? No way. You've got to be so careful. You've got to be so careful when you start playing God like that. People get sick and God will communicate to them if they're being disobedient. But man, in the New Testament, we go through hard times. We go through trials. We go through sicknesses. We go through poverties. How many of you here are reading through the Bible in a year with the bulletin? Right now we're in the book of Job, huh? Talk about some miserable comforters, man. <laughs> They're way off. Way off. New Testament's different. The Old Testament, God said, man, you guys are going to get so blessed. Big old grapes and mangoes and you name it, man. <laughs> And so what does God want us to do? God wants us to enter in. God wants us to enjoy the land. Okay? But what if you're afraid? Verse 17, it says, If you should say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm, by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. Now, we're not necessarily going and getting land like this, like physical land, uh, pretty much not. But all of us here are getting spiritual land. It's right in front of you. And you have to make sure that you have the faith 
to possess that land. Now, what will keep us from that? Well, the antithesis of faith is fear. What are we afraid of? Well, nine times out of ten, we're afraid of failing, huh? I know myself, sometimes I'm afraid of looking like a fool. If I take that step of faith, then what happens if I fall on my face? The whole church is going to see that I'm a fool. Well, you guys already know it, so why, you know, why do I mess around like that, you know? But it's fear that will hold us back. And what the Lord, I think, what He, what he shares with us is that perfect love casts out all fear. You guys, as we follow the Lord, as we take those steps of faith, it's His perfect love that will cast out that fear and allow us to enter into the land. You know, Moses here says, if you go there and you're afraid, and a lot of times we're afraid, Lord, how am I going to do this? How is my child really going to fall in love with you? I mean, we've been bringing them to church and they kind of have a Christian upbringing and stuff. But man, sometimes we look at our kids or whatever, we look at our loved ones and we're like, man, is it real? Is it anchored deep? Is it something you know, that has happened in their life? And, you know, we can get, get afraid. And God says, listen, man, just like I saved you, just like I totally saved you when you were dead in your sins and I did this work, I want you to have that, that heart of confidence in God. Have that heart of confidence for your kids. Have that faith for your family. Don't be a doubter. Okay, because what do we need? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, none of us here, I don't care how much of the Bible you learn. I don't care if you know it inside and out or if you memorize the whole thing. There's nobody here who has a whole bunch of knowledge who's going to go out and be a different person without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And there's two things that will quench that power. Number one is disobedience. And number two is doubt. You can't doubt God. Because then when you do that is you limit the Holy One. See? And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We're learning a lot of things. We are learning a lot of things. Praise God for that. But that is not enough. We need the power of God in our life. And the Lord says, when you have that faith, this is what changes you. And this is what you need. You see, the root of fear is that lack of faith. And that un, you know, heart that doesn't really understand the love that God has. God says, listen, man, if you understand the work that I do... Man, look at what he says there in verse 20. It's kind of interesting. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet... Among them. Talk about a sting operation, man. That's pretty amazing, huh? God will just, he'll take the bees, he'll take the ants, he'll take whatever it is, he'll take care of it. Do you believe? Question, do you believe for your kids? Do you believe for your family? Do you believe for the ministry? Do we believe for this city? Do we have faith? Or are we afraid? God's people should not be afraid. And I'm not talking about being boasting or overconfident. I'm talking about having a confidence that is rooted in our Creator God. And we got to have it, you guys. we got to have it. And then the Lord begins to work. But don't be 
in a hurry. Because look what we read in verse 22. It says, And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Little by little you will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand and you will destroy their name from under heaven. Man, God's going to give you guys a victory. That's what he's saying. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not cover the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. And so the Lord says, and as we begin to do this work, I want you to know it's going to be little by little. You know, and like I shared, you know, I see the growth in the individual lives and it's such a blessing, you know. I see uh, 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 the, the church here, you know, little by little. We're not exploding, huh? We're not exploding, but little by little, God is adding to this church. I really believe it's a genuine work of God and it's so humble to be able to be a part of it. I mean, you should have seen last night the men's study. It was incredible, man. It really was to see all these guys. Half of these guys, I don't even know these guys, man. But it's amazing. God is stirring their hearts. And I was talking to a guy today. You know, the other day I got a phone call. There's a, a place over here in Almani, uh, close to Ramona, where, um, you know, people go who have uh, mental breakdowns or they just... They're all, you know, they're committed, you know. And so I went. I visited this one individual that I knew, and I ended up talking to another guy. And I was talking to this guy, Michael. He's just, he's all cut up. He's been trying to take his life for who knows how long. And so I was there, just talking to him and just sharing with him. John ten ten. The Bible says that, you know, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. I'm just trying to, you know, share with this guy. You know, I gave him my card. I said, if you need anything, please. Call me. Well, he called me today. And God is doing a work. God is doing a real work against demons. And it's such a blessing to be able to be a part of it. But it's not exploding. It's not like, boom, one day, you know. I mean, it can happen. I know God can do that. You know, but for us, I see here, we're biblical. We're, in, you know, at a pace that I think is, is proper. And that's what happened right here. He said, little by little, I'm going to drive them out. And little by little, you're going to have this land. And when you look at that, it's such a cool thing. I know we get impatient sometimes. And you're looking at our clock and we're like, hey, Lord, I think you're late. Okay, remember this. Okay, God's never late. Okay, you guys know that, right? Neither is he early. He's always right on time. And so in God's timing, everything's going to come together. God says, listen, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go into their land, and I want you to burn everything there. Now, when you're there, you're going to see the silver and the gold that's there. He says there, don't take it for yourselves, lest it be a snare for you. It's an abomination, he says to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You know, we don't have time to go there, but... Uh, earlier today, I read a really cool verse in Job chapter 22, verse 21, I think it is, through 23, right around there. 
And he was just talking about, and I read it in different versions. And the Lord just says, I think, I think he's emphasizing this today. Clean house. Clean your house. Clean your life. Clean your house. And I want to speak especially to the heads of the houses tonight. You go home and you clean house. Okay, don't get in the flesh and you know don't be overly zealous and you know and but I mean I mean seriously you go with the Lord and in his wisdom he will show you what needs to go what needs to be thrown away what needs to be thrown into the fire but we got a clean house cuz he says right there we can't bring an accursed thing into the house we can't you know, I know one man, I think I shared with you before, he doesn't even let a cursed male come into his house. He checks the mail. Nothing in here you know, comes in that's not right. And he'll go through the different advertisements and literally this guy, this is what he does, he rips, oh, I can't, they can't look at this. He rips things out. I, I, I mean, you know, that's a type of heart that we need to have. No accursed thing comes in. Because what ends up happening is that will end up destroying you that will be your doom you were sincere and you you know you wanted to do the right thing but when the lord said clean house you didn't do it you know it's kind of interesting the accursed things the accursed things it reminds me of joshua chapter 7 verse 1 where the bible says they went and uh you know they were you know man they thought it was going to be an easy victory but what ended up happening was the whole nation was defeated why? Because Achan went in and he got an accursed thing. And you know what he did with that accursed thing? He put it underneath his tent. And I think in closing tonight, this is what I want to say to you. If you have an accursed thing underneath your tent, you better go home and you better dig it out. Because you can't hide that much longer. And you can't let that accursed thing be the foundation of your family. I think tonight the Lord wants to do a great work. And so, you know, in my weirdness, today I was praying. I said, oh, Lord, I plea. Lord, let me see my sin. And I vow I will flee. And that's what we need to do, you guys. God wants to bless God wants to do a great and mighty work. But what do we need to do? We need to do business with the Lord. We need to go in, and with that wisdom that God provides, we need a clean house. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we want to enter in. We want to enjoy this land. And we want to stay in this land. And we want to be leaders. We want to be followers, Lord, that honor you. Lord, that honor you. And so, Lord, I thank you uh, for the work you're doing and all the different ministries, Lord, and in so many creative ways and, and different ways. Lord, I pray that tonight we would lift up holy hands, clean hearts, and, Lord, that we would yield ourselves totally and completely to you. Give us wisdom, Lord, as fathers, as husbands, Lord. Give us wisdom as elders, as overseers of ministries, as, as pastors, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord, as we are living 
in the last and the last days. Father, I pray tonight and I pray even now that your Holy Spirit will fall on us. Lord, that we tonight would be allowed to um, just pray and cry out for more of you. For more of you, Lord, and less of us. I remember the day that I got saved, Father God. I remember that day. It wasn't me. It wasn't my determination. I remember the day, Lord, it was you. And so, Lord, I pray that um, tonight it would be you. Working in a gentle way, but working in a powerful way in the lives of my brothers and my sisters here. And if relationships need to be broken off, so be it. If uh, things need to be thrown away tonight, so be it. Lord, I pray that you would purge us. And I'm just so grateful, Lord, that you're my God. I know, Lord, and I need to, to know even more that you love me and that you love us. Help us, Lord God, tonight to connect the dots. Thank you so much, Lord, for being so patient with us. And here we are today. I believe we're at a crossroads. Here we are today. I believe we're on the brink of a new beginning. I see it, Lord. I see it. Bless, Lord, I pray, your beautiful, beautiful people. And I believe that every single one is here, Lord. Every person is here. They were handpicked by you to be here tonight. To hear about you. To hear about your love. And to hear about your ways and hear the call. Our calling tonight, Lord, to make a decision to fully follow you and to totally, totally believe in you. Thank you again, Lord, for allowing us to be here tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and close with a song. Oh, Lord.